From the Gettysburg and 91.1 WZBT Gettysburg, I'm Ben Ponce, and this is On Target. I'm Gary Mangala, and today on Target, we will be discussing the life and legacy of John Jager. Then Gary will sit down with Darian Davenport, Assistant Vice President of College Life and Executive Director of the Office of Multicultural Engagement. Stay with us. All right, let's get into it. So, this week, some events on campus, but we're going to start... I suppose with uh, some sad news, John Jager, the namesake of the Jager Center on campus, uh, trustee for 14 years from 1998 through 2012, one of the largest benefactors in college history who gave more than $7 million uh, to Gettysburg College over the course of his life, along with his wife, uh, has died. He was 76 years old. Uh, he had had late in his life, I believe, some some health problems. Um, but he was a member of the Eisenhower Institute National Advisory Council. He was at various points uh, chair of a risk management committee in Greek life that handled a pretty controversial decision in the early 2000s to require fraternities to either install a bunch of fire safety uh, equipment and systems on their own after a frat house burned down, uh, or to sell those houses to the college so the college could do that. He was involved in that process, uh, a member of Sigma Chi when he was a student. Uh, and eventually he was a builder, uh, a real estate developer, I guess, really, uh, in the suburban Washington, D.C. area. He was the chair and owner of a corporation called Danak or, or D-A-N-A-C. I've never actually heard it pronounced phonetically. But in any case, uh, Jager was someone that, according to Janet Morgan Riggs, the former president uh, who was the president when a lot of his donations came in, uh, just had an infectious love for Gettysburg College um, and will be someone that uh, will undoubtedly be missed. Absolutely. My condolences to his family. Okay, uh, other news and notes going on. Uh, well, there's been like a million music concerts this week, it feels like. As opposed to the non-music concerts? Oh, uh, yeah, but um, so there was a Wind Symphony concert, there was an orchestra concert, and there was a... Oh, God, was there a choir concert as well? No, there was a, there was a guest performance. Right, yes. So, Ben, you went to a lot of those, right? I went to two of the three. Uh, the Center Conservatory Wind Symphony... Last oh, Sunday, yeah, no, it's the Bullet Report early. Uh, no, the, the Wind Symphony on Sunday played this concert that featured video game music. Mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, I, I wrote a review of this concert that opened not being a video game aficionado myself, uh, and that is the case. But it was a good concert. There was a, a lot of audience engagement. There were a lot of young people Children, you might say. Oh, children, okay. Uh, that were there. If you're referring to, you know, people your age as young people. Well, my age is, you know, 80 years old plus the 22 years I've had, or 21 years I've actually been on Earth. So, <laughs> you know, that puts me in triple digits now. But anyway, uh, no, it was a, it's like Benjamin Button, except I keep aging in the same direction. Yeah. Um, anyway, uh, where was I going with this? There was a, the Nerd Herd uh, game shop in town, yeah. which is, 
uh, operated by many Gettysburg College students. Uh, several, I should say. Many is a little bit of an overstatement, but many work there. Um, was there co-sponsoring some video game-a-thon sort of situations beforehand? There was an instrument petting zoo, as they call it. Yeah, I didn't like that. I didn't like that term. <laughs> well, you know, um, who among us hasn't wanted to touch a euphonium live and in person? Mm -hmm. Well, do you think it just seems like a lot of the concerts that I've heard about so far have been like non-traditional like but not in a like really avant-garde way more in like a very accessible to like general non-music people well I mean I think that certainly is a goal certainly the Wind Symphony concert every February they do that I mean this was the Pops concert or the family concert yeah so that's always been a a more I guess you could say accessible program um a couple of years ago there was a radio concert that was broadcast live here mm -hmm. on WZBT uh, and, you know, I'm trying to think if there was a stage and screen concert that was part of this family concert here. So in any case, uh, and there was one other since I've been here, yeah, since I've been here for four years. But anyway, yeah, to your point, I think the answer is yes. Yeah. I remember, um, was it my freshman spring? So spring of 2018, um, Vimbai Casaboni, when he was the orchestra director, put up a show called Beethoven, Beyonce and Beyond, and it had like bomb squad dancers in it. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, that sounds like something that Professor Casaboni would have done. Yeah. And there was a symphony orchestra concert as well? Yes, so the symphony orchestra concert was last night. We're recording this on Sunday the 23rd. I don't know why I said that like it's a football game, but okay. You're really in bullet report mode. Yeah, I know. It's really just get coming out of me, exuding the bullet <laughs> report. But anyway, no, the orchestra concert... Uh, featured, I guess you could say, a more traditional orchestral program. There was some Beethoven. Uh, there there was some Carmen, uh, Bizet, the mm -hmm. Bizet Opera. Yeah. Um, and so, but on the other hand, as, as I wrote in a review that will soon come out, uh, it was a really accessible concert in its own way, uh, insofar as you could really just tell that these were like actual people playing. I think a lot of time, like, orchestral classical music yeah. kind of gets this stuffy reputation where uh, you know these professionals and tuxedos who who are are just of a different echelon a different build than anyone who could possibly be Absolutely. in the audience and breathe the same air and it didn't feel like that at all and I, I as I wrote in this you know I don't know even when there were oopses, so to say, as Russ McCutcheon calls them in the Wind Symphony, you know, when there are these huge ensemble hits and, you know, someone plays at the wrong time. Like, to me, that kind of almost enhanced the performance in that, um, in that, you know, you could tell that these were actual people who were enjoying the process. Yeah, there was a moment yeah. where the trombone section was just trying, I mean, probably overplaying a little bit, but trying to blow the doors off the place at the end in this huge brassy fanfare sec. I guess it wasn't really a fanfare, this huge brass hit section. Uh, and afterwards, while the piece is still going on, they're kind of giggling in the back. Um, and, you know, some might argue that that's unprofessional or something like that. But, yeah. you know, it was just a, it was a really positive, joyous occasion in a lot of respects. So I enjoyed the, the Symphony Orchestra concert a great deal. Uh, and you can read more about that at the Gettysburgians website. Wow.
Um, yeah. I did not. Did you attend this eighth Blackbird event? I didn't. I That was the other one I was thinking of. Yeah, it was that one. I didn't uh-huh. see it. I've heard really good things about it, though. Um, one of my friends went, and she said it was really great. I, it seems like every performance that's been going on this week has been really well received. Well, I mean, I think that the the conservatory this semester in particular is just really has a lot of stuff going on. I agree. Uh, and, you know, that's probably probably for the best. Uh, you know, given that it's a relatively young conservatory, I mm-hmm. think in some respects still trying to find an identity in the broader conservatory world. Uh, and and I think that Dr. Layal, Cesar Layal, who's been on this podcast, the new orchestra director, and, and of course, uh, and of course, Russell... Gene McCutcheon, the Wind Symphony director. Yeah, I happen to know his middle name. Is but why'd you have to middle name him, though? You can know somebody's middle name. Yeah, I don't know. It just kind of came out. Okay, Benjamin um, Robert Ponce. Yeah, okay. Gary <laughs> doesn't have a middle name, Mangala. Uh, in any case. <laughs> not only does he, it's not that he doesn't know my middle name. He knows that I don't have one. <laughs> yeah, I know everything. Uh, so in any case, uh, good stuff going on in the conservatory. Yeah, Speaking yeah, of performances, you... Uh, attended the performance formerly known as, well, uh, why don't you just give the whole story of what went on Friday evening? Can I say? I think you can in this context. Okay, so it used to be called the Vagina Monologues. I wasn't sure because technically this is radio. Um, But now it got moved to Our Voices Are Vibrant, which I was like kind of skeptical about. It seemed like a really thinly veiled attempt at inclusion just because last year there were rifts within you know, the planning of it about how, you know, it's still kind of just for white women. Um, but I actually really liked it. Um, I thought it was really cool. I, it was interspersed really well. Whoever picked, um, like the order, which in which these essays were performed, like hats off to you. I thought that like, it was like, some of them are going to be more comedic. Some of them are going to be very serious. And just that was ordered perfectly. Um, it was also all student written which I thought was really cool. And for the most part, students either perform their own pieces or if it was written anonymously, a friend of the person who wrote it tends to read it. So like, there's still like this really personal connection with it. And they did it in the junction this year as opposed to yeah. the ballroom. It was previously in the ballroom. Yeah, wasn't I think so. I really liked it being in the junction. I've never gone before, but I think it made it really you know, personal and very, like it was packed. I, I saw sat Bob was in attendance. Bob was in attendance. Um, I think he had a seat. I sat on the floor. Did they sell tickets? No, it was free. You could pick, you could pay $12 for a t-shirt, which is going towards the YWCA Hanover. Um, Previously would go to Survivors Inc., but since closing, they've moved it to that organization, which is kind of also doing the same things that Survivor used to do. And it was like $12 for a t-shirt. And then it was, it was free entry, which I thought was great. I don't think it's been that way in the past. Well, no, they previously used, they, they previously used to. They previously sold tickets, uh, but I also when you perform in the junction, it's a little hard to uh, police contain that, yeah. access to this. I saw Bob was in attendance. Yeah, yeah, Bob was in attendance. I'm really happy that he went. Um, I'm gonna be honest with you. I'm really, really happy that he went. I think. Well, also on top of that, a lot of fraternity brothers went for either not in our house program or the IFC. So there was like a lot of people like that you wouldn't expect. Yeah, you wouldn't expect, and also that, like, I think should go. I think it's important that Bob goes because, um, you know, 
a lot of the stories that were talked about are things that have happened to people on this campus. Mm -hmm. And I think hearing their first person accounts in this format is really important. Uh, and beyond that, you know, in this format, there's you're in the junction. People feel comfortable to like, you know, I know you have a you have an issue with this, but like snap at like um, the things that resonate with them or just hearing, uh, you know, people nodding along to things. Yeah. Yeah. So like one girl performed a I think it was actually two women uh, performed a piece that was like things that a man has said to me. And it was it's. It's something you can laugh at when, like, I think you've gone through it or, like, you're just, you know, basically aware that it's, like, messed up. But some of the things that they were saying were just really, really funny, but also so stupidly true. And I think not only hearing what they had to say, but also hearing, like, a lot of the audience, like, nodding and laughing and basically agreeing with those statements, I think, is really, you know, is a good indicator for Bob. And I think anybody else who maybe isn't as um, in in line with the types of identities that were performing on that stage. It was mostly women. Um, there are a few, uh, you know, non-binary performances talking about trans experiences, but a lot of it did have to do with like being a woman and being a queer woman or being a woman of color. And in that way, I think it hasn't really bridged the gap um, with the vagina monologues as much, especially because it's the conversation is mostly about still about gender and, you know, it's gender intersecting with something else, but it's still in that. And I would like to see it to be a more broader performance because I think some of the stories that were being told were really, really great. And to hear some were really hard, but I think overall it was a really great experience. Great. Uh, other news uh, from the week. The Gettysburg, uh, Gettysburg College annually, in conjunction with the Gilder Lehrman Institute for American History, awards the Lincoln Prize, yeah. which comes with $50,000 and a bust of Abraham Lincoln, which is very cool. Uh, yeah, we still award is busts. It, is it, like, life-size? Uh, you know what? I It's a replica of the Lincoln the Man bust. I have never—I mean, I should have asked Alan Gilza when he still taught here— uh, <laughs> Yeah, sorry, he's at Princeton now. But in any case, when he's still, I, I saw him this fall, but that's really beside the point. He won it three times. The Lincoln Prize is a $50,000 award uh, that goes to the best book on Civil War history each year. Uh, there's a jury of historians that narrows the list of many final, several finalists, and then a committee that includes the president of Gettysburg College. Uh, and some trust, a trustee and some others uh, chooses the final winner. The winner this year uh, is Elizabeth Varon, the author of Armies of Deliverance, A New History of the Civil War, uh, which is, as you might imagine from the title, considered a new history of the Civil War. Sometimes it's sometimes these books are more biographical uh, or focused kind of on a more discreet area. Last year, uh, the winner was David Blight, who wrote a book about Frederick Douglass. Mm -hmm. uh, and I, I'm trying to remember a couple of years ago, um, one of the jurors this year, Ed Ayers, uh, who is the president emeritus of Richmond University, won for a book about two counties uh, in particular and their experiences in the Civil War, one in the North and one in the South. So anyway, uh, it's a, considered a highly prestigious uh, prize. And so congratulations to Elizabeth Varon. Other finalists included The Second Founding, How the Civil War and Reconstruction Remade the Constitution by Eric Foner, who I believe has also won this award. 
exposing slavery, photography, human bondage, and the birth of modern visual politics in America. Uh, they were her property, white women as slave owners in the American South. Uh, the Sweet Taste of Liberty, a true story of slavery and restitution in America. Girl in Black and White, the story of Mary Mildred Williams and the abolition movement. Illusions of Emancipation, the pursuit of freedom and equality in the twilight of slavery. And finally, Raising the White Flag, How Surrender Defined the American Civil War. All those books are available in Musselman Library. And if you go to the Gettysburg website, we've already pulled the call number, so you don't have to navigate the oh new God. disastrous system known as Muscat Plus. <laughs> yeah, I said it. Uh, they can end my employment at the research help desk oh, if they'd no, like. Oh, no, stop. But, uh, no, it's really bad. I can't. It's. I don't know how to use it. it I, I Maybe try. that's a you problem. Uh, well, it could be a me problem, but it's a me and many other people problem. Mm. Um, it like, okay, quick aside on library databases, because that's what people who listen to on target, I'm sure are interested in. Yeah, probably. I think the goal to bring everything into one system, the goal is to bring books and journal articles and, and, and everything in the holdings into one search tool. That makes a lot of sense. Um, but the way that the results render just does not bring the most relevant things to the top. Like I'll search the title of a book, put it in quotes and search only the library catalog and we'll get like seven other things before the book I'm looking for comes up. And I don't know, I just find that a little annoying. Plus I had gotten used to the old system that included one search which pulled in a lot of EBSCO databases and, and you know, searching the library catalog separately and I'm just old and cranky. So I think that. you just hate change, Ben. Well, that's probably true. Okay, great. Uh, so now that we've taken some time to discuss database management, uh, what else has been going on at Gettysburg College this week? There was a faculty meeting. It was pretty uneventful, yeah. uh, except there was a presentation that, uh, well, we'll just give a very short preview of something that might be coming to an April Fool's edition near yes. you. <laughs> Uh, there's this new financial literacy tool called iGrad. Oh, that's what it's actually called? Yeah. Benson walking around calling it iFinance all week. Well, iFinance is a significantly less snappy name. I like iFinance a lot. <laughs> yeah, well, in any case, it's called iGrad. There's this snazzy video that they rolled out. Uh, it included a presentation from Darian Davenport, who will be on the program later today, along with Cindy Wright. Cindy Wright did most of the talking to the faculty about how they can use this with their students. Didn't get the sense that any faculty were clamoring to do so, but who knows? Uh, and in any case, I think that perhaps iGrad would be a good tool for senior college administrators trying to manage the college's oh finances. God. But who knows? We'll see. Uh, so that was the faculty meeting. There were a million and one sporting events on campus yeah, yesterday. Yeah, like, I don't know what's happening. I think in general, Gettysburg College has just been, like, event crazy. Yeah, perhaps. I mean, we're also at the end of February, which is unreal. I feel like it's April, just in terms of the environment around me. Well, it's also 60 degrees outside today. I, I didn't mean that, but yeah. Like, well, just that like, too. Like, okay, I've been, before we get to the sports thing, I've been, like, trying to, like... So it's anyone who listens to On Target knows I'm a theater major. I don't got to do that whole spiel. Um, and in programming, ever like if we ever like have another performance that we're trying to program, there is no good weekend. Yeah. There, there's no not even in terms of like you know obviously you're not going to do it around Spring Fest, or you're not going to do it around Finals, but beyond that, like there's no other good weekend because anybody else that you'd want to be in the show is in another show. Yeah. It's 
mind-boggling. And I'm sure it's not just a conservatory in the theater department that feel this way indicative of what the sports environment's looking like. Well, we are at that weird time where winter sports are still kind of wrapping up, heading into playoffs, and some spring sports have started. But what was interesting was on Saturday, there were simultaneous men's and women's lacrosse games both at home, along at the same time that the women's basketball game tipped off. Uh, and then immediately following, there was a men's basketball game. All the while, Centennial Conference Swimming Championships have been going on. That's a four-day affair. And I don't yet know if we have final results, but as of after day three, both the men's and the women's swimming teams were leading uh, in a quest to win a conference championship. So we'll see what happens there, but could continuing streak. This is the first year of new head swimming coach Greg Brown. Uh, who replaced the wildly successful Mike Raleigh, uh, who you know, won a million and one conference championships mm-hmm. over the course of his career. He retired last year. So the men's basketball team, uh, we're previewing the bullet report here, did lose. Their season ends at 12 and 13, narrowly missing the 500 mark. Uh, they have not had a winning season since 2015-16, and had they won yesterday, would have finished 13 and 12 to get their first under new coach, BJ Dunn, but still they were six and nineteen last year, so trending in the right direction. Yeah, definitely. So other than that, I'm trying to think if there's any news we've missed. I mean, we have a magazine coming out. We do have a magazine coming out. So there's gonna be a lot more news in the magazine. I'm really excited. I'm this is my first one. Yeah. Um, and I'm really proud of how it went. Um it was Probably the most terrifying experience of my life, sitting in an office till three in the morning and Ben just screaming, but what else is new? Um, I don't think I was screaming. Screaming implies it was a high-pitched affair. I would say it was more bellowing. Bellowing, yes. <laughs> uh, sure. But I, I think it's a really good magazine. I'm really excited about it. <laughs> Are you really excited about it, Ben? I think it's a high-quality magazine. I think that each of the four, this will be the fourth we've done this year, mm-hmm. has improved. Uh, and, and so we're starting to get this under control. It was still a little bit of a crazy thing we did over the summer. Uh, when in July I decided we were going to do this, and then the first one came out, and less than two months after, less yeah. than two months after that, we talked to some mm-hmm. professional contractors. Who were like, so when are you thinking about the first one? Like maybe January or February? I'm like, no, September. Yeah, and this was in July. Uh, so you know, good stuff. Yeah, uh, but, but look there out will for be that, yeah. yeah, there will be a story, a big story on enrollment. Mm-hmm. Uh, we collected some data. We'll talk more about that maybe next week on this podcast. Oh, it'll be a really interesting segment <laughs> next week when we talk about it. Yeah, no, the so there's that. There's a story on food insecurity on mm-hmm. campus, which is an issue that I think probably uh, is under under known, not known as much as it should be. Uh, there's a new program on campus that's that's working towards addressing that, although some involved say it's just a drop in the bucket. Uh, other than that, there's a story on a follow-up mm-hmm. on support staff wages and benefits. The the bottom line up front, not great. Uh, some sports retention yep. news. There's one, yep. Uh, the football team retains fewer players than the women's lacrosse team. One of them is winning national Shocker. championships. The other is winning one game a year, I hate to say. Uh, but who knows? New football coach, Mo Banks, maybe turn that around. Yeah. So there's a preview. You can get your magazines Thursday or Friday or Saturday or Sunday on campus. They will be delivered to the library, uh, to the College Union building, uh, to Servo, to our office. 
Yeah, and uh, and to academic buildings around campus. So we hope you enjoy that. And if you're not in Gettysburg College's area, most of the content will be up within like the next. It will be on week. our website, and you can also go to issue i s s u u dot com slash the Gettysburgian, where you can read it in PDF form if you'd like. We have some postcards from abroad from some more interesting places. Mm -hmm. uh, not How to say dare you? What? <laughs> not to say Western Europe isn't interesting, but uh, perhaps Egypt and Nepal yeah. will catch people's attention It'll be really cool. in this magazine. So that's going to wrap up our news segment. We'll be right back with the bullet report, followed by Gary's interview with the executive director of the Office of Multicultural Engagement, assistant vice president of College Life, soon to be assistant secretary to the board of trustees, and Overseer of Human Resources, Darian Davenport. And now it's time for the Bullet Report. On February the 15th, the men's lacrosse team defeated Messiah 16-10. The women's basketball team lost to Washington College of Maryland 77-76. The men lost 79-70 the same day. The men's lacrosse team defeated Goucher 14-3 on the 19th. The women's lacrosse team defeated Messiah 19-5 on the same day. The women's basketball team lost to Dickinson 78-70. The men lost 69-60. The men's swimming team is currently engrossed, ensconced in the Centennial Conference Championships on campus, as are the women. We'll have results for that next week. The men's lacrosse team lost to number one, number one, Salisbury 11-5. The men's, uh, the women's basketball team defeated Stevenson 16-7 the same day. The women's basketball team defeated Muhlenberg 72-60. They'll be the number two seed heading into the Centennial Conference playoffs next weekend. Unfortunately, not hosted at Gettysburg College because they're number two and not number one, but they'll have an opportunity to avenge their earlier season loss to Haverford. The men lost 74-72. Their season is over, as is the Bullet Report. We'll be right back with Darian Davenport. And we're joined with the executive director of the Office of Multicultural Engagement and the assistant VP of College Life, Darian Davenport. Darian, thank you so much for coming on. Hi, how are you? I'm so good. <laughs> um, I guess just to start, I think everybody has had this uh, looming question of what happened in mm. this like three month period mm. where uh, you announced your departure and then uh, left for, I think, was it like a month or two? Yeah. And then announced you're coming back. Um, so what happened? The million dollar question is always <laughs> the, um, so one of the things I think leaving Gettysburg and I think you probably saw this more than most yeah. was very much like an emotional time for me because yeah. it wasn't that, you know, I was like rushing out the door or running from anything, but I very much saw an opportunity for me to grow, um, at, you know, transition into Penn state. University, mm -hmm. which in essence, uh, I would have been overseeing or I was overseeing all their student life initiatives, student affairs initiatives. But one of the things I think you, you sometimes don't know or realize until you get there is whether or not you will be able to fully realize your purpose for what you're trying to accomplish. Mm -hmm. And I think, uh, you know, being there, one of the things was that, you know, I, I wondered, even though it was closer to home and, um, you know, literally, like not right around the corner, but probably about 20 minutes from my house, you know, I'm at a different point in my life where purpose, the impact that I have on people, my ability to engage people, my I'm very much a mission-driven person. Mm -hmm. Would I be able to do that um, 
to the best of my ability. And, you know, I, I had to question that. And, and that was ultimately, that was part of the reason why, you know, I knew that wasn't a good fit for me. Mm-hmm. And I think that, uh, you know, often, you know, folks will see it. I think you'll see it in professional careers. I think sometimes folks see it, you know, students come here and they're just like, I don't know if this is a good fit for me. Right. Um, I think it's just something that you you feel, you acknowledge, you identify sooner than later, hopefully, and then you make a decision based on it. So that's what happened. And um, there was an opportunity to come back and be able to, you know, not only engage my former capacity, but expand yeah, um, the yeah. position more, which we had done. And I don't none of the work that we do is alone. Uh, so the work, you know, to be, to be to continue to be able to work with, you know, Monique and Shantanique and Amanda and the folks in college life or just on campus. And the, the, the opportunity, you know, Bob was still really, really new then. Um, the opportunity to come back and work with Bob was a big thing. And, I, and I'll say this along the lines of like this level of connectedness. Like I, I'm, I very much value time, place and space as mm-hmm. it relates to that mm-hmm. um, as far as where you work or where we work or where an individual can work. And a lot of that comes to who you get a chance to work with and work for. Yeah. Not saying there was anything wrong with, with, uh, you know, I had, I have great colleagues at at Penn State Harrisburg, some folks I still talk to, um, and we're, we're still connected, but I'm very much a person, you know, my, my, one of my five strengths, um, in strengths quest is a developer. So I believe in developing people, Mm -hmm. but I also believe in being developed and having a chance to come back and to work for Bob and work with Julie and, and all those, it, it's sometimes it just, it, it feels right, you yeah, know? So absolutely. it was, it was harder to leave home. And uh, sometimes it's hard to come back because you get asked that question, right? Like yeah. what happened? Like it was <laughs> a big turnaround, but I'm, you know, I'm not going to, you know, I'm, I'm human enough to know what makes sense, what my purpose is and my ability to be able to have an impact on people. Mm-hmm. And and I'm thankful for what I get the opportunity to do here day in and day out. And I don't take it for granted. So yeah. that 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 was that was ultimately what it was. Um, you know, you go and, and sometimes you know immediately, don't know this if this is all gonna work out. Um and, and when it when it doesn't, you wonder what the impact on students is gonna be. So when you are such a student driven individual and and you really are focused in that way. You wonder if you're going to be allowed to have an impact on the students the way that you want. And I wasn't uh, me not being sure was enough to say I don't maybe it just wasn't the right time in the right place. And I'm OK saying that. Yeah. Um, now, <clears throat> when we did your exit interview, which oh, uh, yeah. was it a heartbreaking day. <laughs> so emotional. Um, but when we were talking, I remember you telling me like how the amount of people that reached out to you just in like the state of shock. What was when like you announced your return? Mm-hmm. Um, what was what was the uh, communication that you got from it was, that? I think it was similar shock. Um, there were people who were like, what? <laughs> I had someone text me after they made the announcement at Gettysburg and said, you got to stop playing with my emotions. <laughs> with my emotions too much. Um, but, you know, there were there were a lot of people who were um, really gracious. I think it really affirmed being able to come back. I, I, I keep saying come back home because it does feel like home for me in that way. But it affirms that it was the right decision to come back, um, whether it was through email, phone call, uh, visits, text messages. Um, people were really, they were really 
good. And, and, you know, when you leave a place and turn back around, I think I can say this. Probably one of the best things was that people there was no judgment. Mm-hmm. There wasn't like, you know, it wasn't it, it, there was no judgment or, or people weren't, quote unquote, looking for tea, um, you know, no, yeah. you know, no shade, no tea. Right. Um, folks weren't looking for. Um, and I can't I heard someone say that last week, so I can't claim that one for myself. But, you know, it was just like like it's nice. We're, we're glad that you, you're back. And yeah. um, just from a human standpoint, because I'm very much like a, a human centered person, it felt good. It's nice for for people to want you to be a part of their community, to um, lament your absence, even though it was a short amount of time, and uh, welcome you back with open arms. So the response was, it was overwhelming. Um, Me being who I am, and some people listening to this are probably going to be mad that I say it, but uh, I probably felt in some ways undeserving. Um, (laughs) Because, because, because I don't, I don't look at it, you know, I don't look at it like that. I'm, I'm a, I'm a person who is fortunate enough to work in higher education and I get to work with students every day. I get to work like this is this is my passion. So um, to that end, it's not about me. Even though I, like, I, you know, I get it, yeah. but it's not about me. It's it's about the work that we get to do together. It's about the impact that we have on students. And, and I'll often tell folks this like we're you know, this is a life like dealing with people's life type of business in yeah. a way. Um, so how you impact them should be important. So I just, you know, I appreciated the outpouring. Like there was so much love, it was mad love. Like I appreciated it, um, for sure. But you know, I'm just, I'm, I'm a person that's just trying to help out as many people as possible. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to do as much as I can to help, help the environment uh, here at Gettysburg. So it was cool. The response was really cool. Yeah, definitely. And I know, obviously, you know, no one, no one at least at your level was like shocked when Jane's retirement was announced, everyone knew at that point. Um, when conversations started about moving you into this uh, position, mm-hmm. you know, really focusing on HR, um, being a liaison with the board, mm-hmm. um, being a direct uh, uh, right underneath the president, mm-hmm. when all that was starting, uh, was it the same kind of thing for you? Like, I don't know if I deserve all this, or was it like a- I think I always think of it. So, you know, I think I always look at it that way only because looking- you know, and everybody has a story, right? Yeah, um, yeah. But you know, I'm you know humble beginnings. Um, you know, I, you know, neither my, I'm first gen, and my parents, you know, birth both worked to just get me the opportunity to to get to college, and I struggled through college, and you know, like you spend so much time fighting, and and so much time in some ways, in some spaces, especially you know during, you know, during my corporate years, validating, trying to validate Absolutely. yourself, right? And uh, so when I get there, and that goes back to it. Being bigger than me, I know people have had it harder than I've had it. People have sacrificed more than I've sacrificed. So I feel really fortunate to have the opportunity. And, and that's where I, I come to it from, you know, kind of the point of feeling like, like wow, I don't, you know, do I, I deserve all this because I do feel fortunate. It's a blessing. And, you know, and, and, and I don't I don't just like kind of arbitrarily say that. Like I just I'm here. I'm up. I'm sitting in the studio talking to one of my favorite people like this, like this all to me is a blessing. Mm-hmm. And, that you know, so things could have been so much different for me in life. Um, but here I am. So so that's why, you know, when I couch things in the way of saying I feel like I'm, I'm you know, it, I'm, un, I'm deserving. It's because I appreciate it so much. And I know that my life could have taken a completely different path and maybe yeah. not a path that would have me have, you know, completed a terminal degree or work at a Gettysburg college or be able to impact students live. Like this, this is my second quote unquote career. You know, Mm -hmm. I started out in corporate, you know that, I mean, we've talked about that a million times. 
Um, but being able to make the transition, work in higher education, impact people's lives. And I, you know, I have students, I've, I've had students that I still connect with from 10, 10, 12 years ago, right? Um, that to me matters. It all matters. So that's why I feel undeserving because this, uh, and I tell you this all the time, I have the opportunity to do this work. I get to do this work. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's not transactional and it's not a paycheck and it's not nine to five. Um, it's, it's, it's me being able to avail myself because I do feel like um, I'm fortunate. And I also feel like as far as the people who have laid the groundwork before me, that is an obligation to carry on that torch and that work, right? Um, so even with, you know, you look at the, so let's, let's talk about the, the PC piece. You know, I think that, and I haven't researched it, so I would need to, but if, if I'm not, mis- people have said this to me though, that people say, you know, I think you are, probably the first male of color yep. or the first black man in the history of the college to be on PC. Yep. Um, that is, I don't, I don't, you know, walk around. I, I'm, I'm not going to lie. I'm over, I'm overwhelmed by it. Cause I'm like, wow. And part of it is because I'm carrying decades and decades of history and sacrifice and fight and hope and vision and, and, you know, like all these things that that folks, you know, it's interesting that, you know, we're discussing this in Black History Month. Right. But we're talking about the people that had paved the way to just get me to this point of being able to say that and be that. Mm-hmm. They sacrificed a ton. Yeah. So the, to me, there's there's it's all it's it's I'm obliged. Um, there's an obligation to not only represent everything that they've done and sacrificed to get someone like me to this point, but to do well mm-hmm. um, in it. You know what I mean? So that that's that's why I feel like I'm, I'm undeserving. And I think when you're embedded in the work, you don't sit back and reflect on, oh, I think I'm the first of this. You just do the work. Like you go there, you know, with the purpose of having an impact with the role that you've been given. And, and that's what I'm attempting to do. And it's, no, you know, with the HR component, I'm very much a, a people-focused individual. Mm-hmm. I believe in the power of people. I think people are are the great, one of the greatest resources on this planet. Um, so to be in a role that where I can continue to invest in folks and help grow folks, and because we have a lot of talented people here at the college, um, to be positioned in the way that I can help impact that is a powerful thing to me. So there's a lot at play, whether it's contemporary or historical. It, there's a lot. And, and I'd be lying if I say I don't feel... Um, a little bit of pressure, but I feel pressure because I don't want to disappoint. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't want to disappoint my ancestors. Um, I don't want to disappoint folks who over the period of my lifetime, whether it's been personally or professionally, have poured into me to shape the individual that's here. Like, I owe that to them. So that that's probably why I always, and, and some people, I know they roll their eyes, they're like, oh my gosh, you're trying to be humble. But I just, there, there, are, Gary, there are so many people in my lifetime that took a shot on me. Mm-hmm. They're looking. They said, "You know what? I'm gonna give you a chance. I'm gonna, I'm gonna give you a shot at this." And in my mind, I'm like, "Solid. I'm not gonna disappoint, and I'm gonna rock out." And I know folks who probably are more or less talented who get shots, and they don't, you know, really put that kind of effort into it. But yeah. to me, I I need to put the effort in because I'm here. Like, <laughs> and it could have been anybody else. It could have been anybody else. Um, but here I am with this wonderful opportunity to be able to have a greater impact on the campus with so many people that paved the way. Um, and I'm humbled by it and I'm thankful for it. Um, 
So that's that's long answer to your to your short question, but <laughs> as always. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so I think this is something, and you and I have even talked about this before, mm-hmm. and it was something that Ben and I were talking about a lot on the podcast, like a week or two ago, mm-hmm. about just um, you know people of color in high positions of power at Gettysburg College are few and far between. Mm-hmm. It's like you, Gene Arnold, Jen Bloomquist, mm-hmm. um, Daryl Jones, and. The list doesn't go on and on, right? Um, and there was, there's always this, uh, like, I don't know. I think for people of color, sometimes there's this inherent thought, am I getting it because I'm getting it or am I getting it because, mm-hmm. you know, I'm a person of color and I have, you know, right. I, I look good in the pictures. Sure. Um, and I think there's something about that that we were, like, trying to navigate between, you know, obviously this is, you know, Darren Davenport's is, like, this is like, exceptional administrator who is you're too kind <laughs> you know what stop <laughs> but like completely deserving like there's not I don't think I've ever met a single person on campus it's like oh like he's not good at his job you know like you know you're good at your job but I think how do you navigate between that and just this inherent I think thing that people go through when they're like is this why I'm getting it Mm-hmm. You know, and, and they wonder if that's the reason. I, yeah. So part of it is this. And I think with anyone and I can't speak to, for everybody else in their opportunities. But I think for me, um, there's there's two words that that I, I could have used when when provided this opportunity. And it was either yes or no. So I think that, you know, when you when you get an opportunity, you know, you you, you have the option. I could I could have said, no, this might not be a good look for me or for my family or whatever the case may be. But. Um, I choose to, I chose to say yes because number one I know the impact that that we can our collective work would be on campus um but I but I think as far as I don't you know I no so I, I know what you're getting at but I think ultimately it comes down to you know if you have a seat at the table what does that mean yeah right and I think that for me and again I can't speak for anybody else if I'm at a table and I have a seat and I don't have a voice I can't be at that table Absolutely. So, so that's that's how I approach anything. At, at the end of the day, you know, again, I'm I'm thankful for opportunities, but I also there's a level of integrity that I need to be able to maintain, and I understand that mm-hmm. there are folks that that I'm representing just clearly because of my presence in a space. I need to represent that right. Um, so, so I don't I don't take it that way. I don't think I've ever taken it that way. Um, because any place, and I've had people try to do that to me in the past. Mm-hmm. You know where I mean, I've I've been on, uh, I won't say any names of the, of the places, but I've been part of entities or organizations where they felt like um, I was the answer to their um, diversity recruitment, but it stopped there. Yeah, and I always push back on that because I believe that while trust me, I love myself. I love whether it is my blackness, whether it is my weight. I love who I am as an individual. Um, so I'm not I'm not going to allow myself to be in a situation where I feel like I'm powerless mm-hmm. or I feel like I don't have a seat at the table where I can really have a conversation and be a valued uh, member. And, and, and part of that has also been been people requiring that of me. Um, and I don't so I don't expect anyone to, to ask me to, to occupy a space and then say, I need you to be silent. Then, then why am I here? And I and I remember um, in my in my younger days when I would get those opportunities, just kind of sitting there and not in a way where I was I was 
you know, representing myself in a way that I was I was being a token or anything like that. But where I felt like this, the imposter syndrome, like I'm here and I'm the only person of color in the room. And I felt like an imposter, like I didn't belong. And I remember one time having another colleague that was a person of color pull me aside at that point and said, we're, you know, like we're here, you know, to speak up like we have value. And I'm like, you're right. So. That's how I present. And that's how I I coach people to present. When you're in these spaces, you are of value. And I say this to anyone, whether it's a student or a faculty member, a staff member or whoever. If somebody asks you to be a part of something, whether it's a committee, whether it is it is part of PC, whether it is part of any group. They should ask you with the intention of making sure that you're adding value to that space, but you as an individual should also feel empowered to add to that space. So I, I wouldn't occupy a space um, if I didn't feel like I was empowered to to actually be a part of it. Um, who, why? Like who would who would who would I be? Number one, I, I would totally be cheating the institution. Mm-hmm. Um, but number two, that that for me is de- devaluing and discrediting a big part of my identity. Like, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, like so So I can't, I, there's just, again, going back to what I said earlier, there are way too many people who have, who have fought and struggled and sacrificed for me to get this opportunity, for me to go in that room and be a silent partner. Then, then that just, it just, it just, even saying it to you, like, it just doesn't sit well with me. Yeah. I represent way too much. And, um... And and for the for the folks who again who went before me, the people who were my predecessors and always here at Gettysburg College, um, I owe it to all of them um, to to be an active person in that space in that room. Yeah, I, I remember you telling me one day because I I remember us talking about this kind of stuff, and you always said even if you don't see people of color in the room, and you're entering what you perceive as a white space, you entering that space makes it not a white space anymore, and like you're paving. If for other people, and you're saying, you know, yeah, you are definitely the first black man in PC. So with all that being said, it's like, hopefully that becomes a place where, you know, now we start to see more administrators of color on campus. I know, like, everyone wants that in a way, um, or everyone should at least. Um, And in that, I remember you telling me with Penn State that you wanted to have a broader you know, Mm -hmm. portfolio of work that you're looking at, you know, not no hate towards Omi or anything like that, but just, you know, wanting to not just always be, you know, the diversity guy is what, um, you know, you're looking at. And now with HR and just like, even just your work in college life in general, do you think you're going to start getting what you were, you know, kind of seeking out in Penn State before you came back? Well, I think, I think part of that is you always look, you know, I'm, I'm about growth and expansion, and and trust me, the the work that that I've been um, fortunate to do, um, that's identity work, has been a big part of my life. I've I've done it for 22 years. It's been a huge part of my life. Um, you know, in the student affairs context, I was looking to broaden out and be more of a generalist, which is what we talked yeah. about, right? Um, in that way, this allows me to continue to broaden. And you know, I've I've done HR. I was in corporate completely different, you know, <laughs> but, uh, and, I, and I've, you know, over the years have had the chance to train um, various HR professionals in, uh, in higher education, but it does allow me to continue to work doing, and that, so let me back that up. Regardless of, I think, the breadth of my role, 
that affinity work is always going to be there. So it's always going to be who I am. It's a part of my 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 um, professional DNA in that way. So that part's always going to be there. Um, I think what it what it allows me to do here at Gettysburg is not only it's this this duality where I, I have a student focus, but also an employee focus, which is really cool. Yeah. Um, and that so that will give me the breadth and the the growth and the impact. And and one of the things you know I appreciate. Um, you know, by for and this opportunity is identifying like when you look at how he's structuring the president's office, looking at, you know, individual strengths. And I think he's put me, he's positioned me in a way where I will be able to use, you know, my strength to mm-hmm. be able to do that work. But I also get, you know, I'm also a student center person. So it allows exactly. me to kind of be in both worlds um, in a way. And, you know, part of it, and I know folks there, oh my gosh, wait, how are you going to do? And I I am always figuring out and working out because I know I'm one person, <laughs> one person, <laughs> and there's only so many hours in a day. Uh, but for me, any type of, of transition or expansion in my role, I try to do so with um, the least amount of impact to people. So I don't want, whether it's students or whether it's um you know, faculty, staff, administration, I want this transition to be as seamless as possible and have as little impact on people as possible. Um, I don't think, again, I'm, I'm one person, right? I don't want to have that much impact, yeah. um, you know, negative impact on an environment or on, on a group of people. So um, it will be, it will be important for me to be intentional of how I use my time, what I use it for, making sure that people still have access to me, which is a big, a big thing. Um, I don't want to, you know, turn into like this invisible person. And it's like, oh, he's not around anymore because he's in 50 different meetings. Like, yeah. you know, I, so I need to be, make sure that I'm, I'm accessible to people. Um, but yeah, it will it will give me breath. But, it, you know, it takes me back to some experience. I I enjoy I was an HR specialist. And then I was also, um, so I was doing recruiting. I was doing a lot of specialist work and terminations, a lot of, you know, the hard things. I did a lot of affinity work when I worked in human resources. And so a lot of the things that I did in HR, we used to have a um, a program called Lincoln Cares. So, you know, I worked a lot with employees who were high, maybe higher economic need employees. I had a lot of initiatives when I was in corporate. So it it is interesting kind of how that work um, continues to flow with you, even though it's done in a different capacity. So I've done that type of work in human resources. So I, I, I enjoy getting back to it um, and, and really working with employees. And I'm, again, like I said earlier, I'm definitely a developer. So when I think of training and development and those yeah. types of opportunities, it'd be cool to continue that kind of work through HR too. Now you on PC, but also just like liaising with the board of trustees mm-hmm. and things like that, you'll probably both just in your personality, but also in your general like job as executive director mm-hmm. of OMI, probably be the most tangible administrator that's in that world mm-hmm. for students at least. And I mean, personally, I don't think a lot of students feel as though the board of trustees is a very tangible thing to us. And I don't think a lot of other PC, you know, like I don't think a lot of people know Dan Constellate mm-hmm. the way that they know, you know, Darian Davenport. And how do you think? Dan's a great guy. You got to get to know him. Yeah, no, Dan's like, a great guy. I, I've had a few interactions <laughs> with him and he's great. But I, I just in general, I think when, you know, a lot of the offices in Penn Hall mm-hmm. are just not a place that students occupy. It would be weird if they did. Let, let's be honest. If clubs <laughs> hung out in Penn Hall a lot, it would be a strange place. But um, I think having that background, um, how do you think that that's going to, you know, kind of 
you know, make waves mm-hmm. a little bit, having such such a student-centered background. Well, and I, I, so I think for me, I see myself really as a conduit for that, right? Yeah. Where having the, the student life, student affairs background, and now being, being in that capacity, I think it affords an opportunity, you know, to continue to build those bonds. Um, you know, a lot of the a lot of the trustees are alum. They were students at one point. Right? Yeah, yeah. So so there there's this natural connection to the college and the college experience, albeit at different points in life, um, that folks share. So I think that that given my skill set and my background, I'll have an opportunity to to be able to strengthen that. And you know, maybe maybe it's a time where there should be more students coming to Penn Hall. There should be more traffic. You know, I know. Um, I know, you know, the president has, um, if you look on the site, he has hours you yeah, know, for yeah. students to come and visit. So, you know, again, I, I wouldn't want, we work in higher education. Um, you know, I wouldn't want students to feel like there are spaces. And again, like I said before, time, place, and space is so important. Spaces that are inaccessible. Mm-hmm. And not inaccessible because they're locked or some type of physical impediment um, to that, but because they don't know if they belong in those spaces. So I think that, you know, um, and, and I'm, I'm as gregarious as, as probably the next person, but <laughs> but I, I, would, I would want students, you know, if they want to meet with me and maybe my hours are in Penn Hall, feel comfortable coming into Penn Hall and coming up to the president's suite. Um because we're all one community. You, you understand what I'm saying? So mm-hmm. I don't, I don't, and, and you know me well enough to know that, not, and not saying that it exists in this way, but I'm not big on those types of um, immaterial kind of silos, right? Where, yeah. Where it's like, uh, I say like a lot, goodness gracious. This is, this recording is going to sound horrible, y'all, because <laughs> I said like 500 <laughs> times. But I, I, I would want students to be able to feel comfortable or if they're coming to a, a, a board meeting, um, in the or coming to a meeting in the boardroom or they're coming to, the um the lyceum or they're going to second floor pen hall like I, I and i see students there are students that work in communications and marketing i've seen students working at odi um so i would want yeah. folks to feel comfortable being able to occupy that space sans me um you know i, I again i'm I'm one person, but I think if I can contribute to a culture where students feel more comfortable, cool. But that culture, you know, I'm not immortal, so right, I won't I won't be here or live forever. But hopefully you're always <laughs> looking at me like, you're not immortal. I am not Wolverine, I'm not Wolverine. Uh but uh I, you know, I would want to contribute to a culture where, where students, um, my days and beyond feel comfortable walking the halls of Penn Hall. Uh and, and it's interesting that you say that because um, you all start in Penn Hall and you end in Penn Hall. Yeah. So it's like, why not come there in between those two, you know, very, very traditional historical type of moments, right? Where it's it's convocation and it's commencement. And it's like, y'all pass through, you know, ceremony through Penn Hall. Um, I would hope that folks with in, in the bookends, within the bookends of those four years, feel like that they can come through, you know, the halls of Penn Hall. Yeah. I think that's a great place to end it. So thanks for coming on, Dr. D. Well, thank you. I hope I was able to answer the questions. You started out rough on me, though. She's like, why did you leave? Why did you come back? No. Um, no, thanks for your time, Gary. I appreciate it. And, you know, I appreciate you more than you know. I, I, you and I have, have um, we, you know, we we build a bond. I, I think the world of you, I think you already know that. Um, but it's it's just one of those things where, it affirms not only what I do and why I do it, but that I do it here. Hmm. And, and I think that makes a big difference. And, and you know, again, uh, 
you know, sometimes you get into a space and, and you know that you won't be able to kind of um, let 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 your hands go enough to be able to to do what you need to do. But, um, you know, here here at Gettysburg, I believe in the collective work. I believe in what we get to do with students. I believe in the environment. Um, you know, I, I walk around and I call people family and, and that's just not something I, I just toss out there because it sounds really cute. Um, but I, I say it and I mean it. And, uh, you know, people could question it. They may question it and they may not. But that that authentically is is the way I feel. And, and with me, what you see is what you get. Mm-hmm. It is what it is. And, and, and sometimes it is imperfect. And sometimes it is not, um, you know, glorious. But um, one of the things that I have that I don't believe that you can teach people is heart. And I have a heart for the place. And I have a heart for the folks. So, um, you know, you, you help affirm that. You're, you're, you're a great person. And I've, you know, I've been a beneficiary of a, of a lot of our time together. So, hmm. yeah, thanks for having me. I appreciate yeah. it. Yeah. So. Darian Davenport, everyone. <laughs> Bye, y'all. That's on target for this week. We'd like to thank Darian Davenport for being our featured guest today. We'd also like to thank the staff of the Gettysburg and the executive board of WZBT for their ongoing support in this project. Please be sure to subscribe to On Target on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, Google Play, or wherever else you get your podcasts. On Target is a joint production of the Gettysburg and WZBT. Our theme music was composed by Diego Rocha, a 2019 graduate at Sunderman Conservatory of Music. Join us next week. I'm not sure who our guest will be, but I'm sure it'll be great. Until then, enjoy the weather. Thanks, climate change. Have a great week.